So in this sermon, I would like to share with you in three points how Paul tackles this issue from the perspective of the gospel. The first question, what was the real issue Paul was dealing with here in this passage? Second, what is this freedom we have in Christ, and how is it different from the freedom as the world knows it? And third, how can love of Jesus guide us in using this freedom wisely? And then I'll conclude the sermon with some applications. Now, this passage is actually the conclusion of Paul's discourse on the issue of food offered to idols, which begins in uh, chapter 8 and runs all the way to uh, the passage we, are, uh, we read this morning. Now, in this concluding section, Paul deals with a situation where a Christian sees meat in the market, some of which was probably offered to idols. Now, do a Christian have a freedom to eat that meat? And what if an unbeliever invites a Christian to his or her home and serves such a food? And what if someone approaches them and says, that's the food offered to idols? What should, a, what should a Christian do in this case? And Paul is dealing with these issues at the Corinthian church. Now, if you read this passage carefully, you will see that Paul's concern here is not simply whether a Christian can eat the meat offered to idols or not. It's not about that. Food itself is not the issue at all. If you look at verses, uh, verse 25, he says, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. And in verse 7 again, he gives one scenario. He says, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. So food itself is God's gift. And it can neither bring us closer to God or take us away from Him. It's just God's gift that Christians are to enjoy. Now, what then is at stake here? The issue has to do with Christian liberty, Christian freedom, and love for neighbors. How Christians should exercise their, free, their freedom in ways that are loving and constructive for their neighbors. And so Paul gives this one simple principle in verse 24. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Now, this is the gospel principle. And this principle finds its root in one of the important uh, commands that Jesus gave before he went away. If you go to John 15, 12, which I shared with you last time I was here, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Loving our neighbor as Jesus loved us means putting the good of others before ours. And Paul is here applying this principle to the situation in the church. Now here, I want you to take a step back and notice how Paul is approaching this issue at hand. He's constantly trying to draw a connection between the issue and the gospel of Jesus. And this is what Paul committed himself to do in this letter 
and throughout his ministry. Even if you read other uh, letters that he wrote, you will see that he's constantly trying to draw the connection between the issue at hand and the gospel. And he, he says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the only thing I decided to know. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Corinthian church had all kinds of serious spiritual and ethical issues. And as Paul tackles them one by one, instead of simply telling them what to do, he attempts to point them to the gospel and find an answer there. Why? Because at the end of the day, it is the gospel where we, will, we, we can find true wisdom and true power to deal with the problems in our lives. Christian brothers and sisters, are we making these gospel connections in our lives? In our parenting? In our marriage? In our friendship? In matters that we often dismiss as trivial, but in fact may have a huge implication for deeper understanding of the gospel. So Paul says in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it, for all, do, do it all for the glory of God. And you know, the glory of God shines when we see our problems through the lens of the gospel. Now Paul here uses two gospel lenses in this passage to look at the problem. The first one is Christian freedom. And the second one, the second lens he uses is Christ's love. So let us now first look at um, freedom that we have in Christ, and then we'll move on to our Christ's love that guides this uh, Christian freedom. Now, in this passage, Paul does teach the Corinthians to restrain their freedom in certain situations. But he doesn't in any way undermine Christian freedom. This freedom is part of the gospel we believe, and it is important for Christians to understand where this freedom comes from in order to live as free people of God. This freedom comes from two facts. First, Christian freedom comes from the fact that their God is the Creator. Please look with me, verses 25 and 26. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for... Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Paul here tells the Corinthians that Christians don't need to hold back from any meat sold in the market because the Lord God is the owner of the earth and everything in it is His, including the meat offered to idols. He further says, if you go to uh, chapter 8, verse 6, he says, For us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came, and for whom we live. In other words, God who created the heaven and earth, who is the source of all things, is the same God whom we call our Father in heaven. And Christians are free because their heavenly Father owns everything. This freedom applies 
not only to food, but also all areas of a Christian's life. So this is the first source of Christian freedom, that their Heavenly Father is the owner of all things. If you continue to look at chapter 8, verse 6, Paul also tells us another source that gives Christian freedom, Jesus Christ. He says, And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Now, Paul says, through Jesus all things came and through Jesus we live. In other words, Jesus is the very means by which we have our being. He's the very means by which we have our freedom as Christians. And Jesus, Jesus achieved this freedom by dying on the cross for us. He frees Christians from sin and death so that they could live as the free people of God. We may still sin, but we are not enslaved to sin. We may physically die, but we have eternal life in Christ. So Christian freedom is founded upon Jesus' Jesus' sacrificial love for us. He's the one who reconciled us to God, our Father in heaven. He's the reason we could call God our Father. Now, you may think this whole talk about these two sources of Christian freedom, the Father and the Son, is a bit of an overkill, right? Because Paul is only talking about, this, talking about this small issue here. He's dealing with the issue of, you know, the freedom to eat uh, food offered to idols. And Paul goes on and talks about God and Jesus Christ. You see, however small this issue may be, this freedom is nothing short of God's grace and the cross of Jesus. Now, I want you to compare this freedom to what our culture calls freedom and rights. In our culture, freedom means autonomy or individual sovereignty, which says, I am my own authority. I steer my own life in any way I want to, and no one can tell me what I should do or whom I should be. But Christian freedom is not rooted in this individual autonomy. Christian freedom is rooted in the Father's lordship over all things and Christ's sacrificial love, which says, I belong to God who created everything. He is my Father. And Jesus saved me from futile ways of life so that I could live for my Lord and seek to, seek to, do, the good, uh, to, the, uh, to do the good of others and not my own. Do you see how different the narrative is? And so this freedom is not about maximizing our freedom to do whatever we desire. It is about magnifying the glory of God and reflecting Jesus' love in our daily life. And Paul warns those who have Christian freedom to be careful in verse 23, he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is constructive. In other words, not all decisions Christians make using their freedom magnifies God or reflects His love. 
Now, this brings us to the next point. Christ's love as the guiding principle for our freedom. Christian freedom came from Christ's love, and Christ's love should be the guiding principle when we use our freedom to make decisions in our lives. And this principle, let me read it to you again. Verse 24, No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And this is exactly what Jesus did for us in His love. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, it says, Being in very nature, uh, nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If Jesus sought his own good, none of us would be sitting here today as a people of God worshiping him. But Jesus sought our ultimate good by laying down his divine glory and becoming sin for us, though he had, he, he had no sin as the Holy Son of God. This was so that we may be freed from our worst enemies. What are two worst enemies of whole humanity? Sin, which will subject us to God's judgment, and death, which brings us sorrow. And yet Christians who receive this love from Christ, they're freed from sin, they're freed from death. And they're called to, do, called to imitate this love in this world using their freedom as the children of God. And Paul uses this principle to give his instruction in verses 28 and 29 in today's passage. You see, although the, the Corinthian Christians have the freedom to eat any meat sold in the market, eat whatever is put before them when they're invited to an unbeliever's home, he says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to other persons, the other person's conscience. In other words, if eating the idle meat is not beneficial for your neighbor's conscience, then you should um, re refrain from eating it. Now, who is this informant? Who is this person informing the Christian about the source of that food? Is it another Christian? Or is it an unbeliever? Now, scholars are divided on this question, but in either case, it is certain that this, this informant doesn't think a Christian should be eating meat that has been offered to idols. And that's why this person is pointing that out to the Christian. You shouldn't be eating that. It's been offered to idols. Christians do have freedom to eat. And yet, in this situation, Paul says, do not eat it for, that, for the sake of that person. Because their conscience will be hurt if the Christian chooses to eat that meat. 
Now, in this case, although the Christian is free to eat the food, Paul warns the Christian not to eat it. And if you go to verse 29b, he says, For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? Now, John Calvin, um, a legendary theologian, that, you know, he explains this verse like this. Paul gives serious warning that if we use our freedom just as we like and thereby cause offense to our neighbors, the result will be that this matchless gift of God will be condemned, ruining our freedom by making wrong use of it. And Paul here is telling the Corinthians to refrain from the thing that they are free, free to do because that is a way of doing the good of others. Now, we can also think conversely. We can also think about the situation in which we proactively do things that we are free not to do. In other words, we don't have to do them, but we proactively do them for the sake of others. Let me give you a little illustration. Um, Today, if you go to South Korea, um, there are a lot of traditional families that still perform these ceremonies called chesa, where they pay respect and pray to their dead parents, dead grandparents, to dead ancestors. And they bow down to their names and pictures. And on the day of ceremony, all the family members and relatives, and sometimes it's a huge crowd, they would gather and prepare a big feast meal, which they first dedicate to, the, to their ancestors, uh, believing that their spirits in the air would come and eat the food. And then sh- the whole family would you know, sit around and, and sit and sh- share the meal together. Now, when one of the family members becomes a Christian, the person typically doesn't go to the ceremony because it is directly against the first commandment. And the Christian has the freedom not to go. But here's a little problem. When the Christian doesn't show up to the event, the family doesn't think that the person is just being religious. Rather, they would think that the person is, is conveniently avoiding, right? Of, uh, conveniently avoiding all the hard work of food preparing, fruit, uh, fruit prepping in the name of faith, and they would think this person is ditching the whole family. And the, the family would be upset, and they may end up despising Christian faith because this Christian is not showing up. They're misunderstanding this freedom of Christian. And here is how Christian freedom guided by Christ's love can really shine. I have seen more than one Christian who goes to the ceremony. He actually goes, or she actually goes, and then works harder than anyone else there in preparing food, and the person would sit down with the, fam- the rest of the family and enjoy the meal, but would not participate in the rites, bowing, bowing down to the ancestors. And I can assure you, this, these Christians will be persecuted for not bowing down. And sometimes they, they are treated as outsiders. 
Now, they have freedom not to go to that event. But I've seen these Christians who would constantly go and show, and show Christ's love to the rest of the family. And other family members eventually become curious about this Christian. And then they will start asking questions about Christian faith. And I have seen some of these families turning to Christ as a whole and abandoning their chesa, the ceremony, because of this one Christian who knew Christian freedom as well as Christ's love. Now, I think this is essentially what Paul is telling Christians to do in verses 32 and 33. Here, he's not just telling them uh, what not to do, but also what to do proactively in order to love their neighbors as Christ loved them. Please look with me. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Paul is not telling Christians here to become men-pleasers. Rather, he is telling them to use Christian freedom and serve others in a way that these people can understand. So that they could understand this glorious freedom in Christ. So that they could benefit from it and even be saved. You see, actively seeking the good of others is what Jesus did. Coming down to us, living among us, to understand and empathize with us. Dying on the cross and rising from the dead to deal with our sin and death. And Paul says in chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, imitate this Christ. Do what Jesus did. You're given the freedom as God's children to imitate Christ. Christ, uh, Christian brothers and sisters, you have freedom as children of God in this world. And you are called to use this freedom to demonstrate Christ's love. Now let me now conclude this sermon with some uh, applications and exhortation. Now if you are a skeptic or not yet a Christian, because perhaps because you are afraid of losing your autonomy or freedom in the independent of God, I pray that you will reconsider. See that this freedom may bring you autonomy, but could never bring you true peace in your heart because you don't know where, you, where your autonomy is taking you or where you will end up. Also see that your freedom may bring you sovereignty over your life, but that cannot never, can never offer you the true meaning and purpose of this life other than the ones that you make up for yourself. Because you did not choose to be born in, this, in the first place. There's one who created you and have purpose and meaning for you. So turn to Christ in Him is the reconciliation with God who created you and gave you life. In Him is the victory over the real enemies of your freedom. The very things that are hindering you from enjoying 
your true freedom, sin and death. If you're a Christian, meditate on your Christian freedom and Christ's love. You're free because you are never on your own, because, but have a heavenly Father who created all that you see and to whom, to whom all things belong. And He's the one guiding your life path. You're free because you have a heavenly brother, Jesus Christ, who sought your good and brought you an everlasting life, not through anything you do or anything you have done, but through His death on the cross alone. So meditate on these wonderful truths as you deal with problems and issues in your daily life. Because as Paul teaches us, it is in this gospel truth that you will find the wisdom and power of God to deal with your problems. So meditate on it, pray on it, that you may be able to see your troubles and, and, and issues through the lens of this amazing gospel truth and find true comfort and strength in Him. Lastly, imitate Christ in His love. Now in chapter 9, in, in the same book, in the same letter, Paul gives his own example of imitating Christ. He says, although he has right to be paid materially for the spiritual seeds he's sowing for the Corinthian church, he says, I'm not going to use that right. Why? To win as many people as possible back to Christ. Knowing that the ultimate good of others is in this gospel. And he doesn't want to use, use his right to become, because this might hinder, um, to be a hindrance to them in his own context. As you live as free people of God, we can also seek to do, good, uh, to do the good of others, trusting that God will take care of us and guide us. You know, sometimes we see Christians doing radical goodness for others because they trust God that, he, you know, He will take care of them. Child adoption is one. And some Christians intentionally go into less fortunate um, neighborhood to live there and support those who are in need. They have freedom to use the resources God has given them and they, they have chosen, they have decided to channel them to those people who are in need. Christian brothers and sisters, we have the freedom as the people of God to reflect this self-denying, self-giving love of Christ daily. It doesn't have to be something radical. In our relationship with our spouse, with children, and our neighbors who may be going through a tough time, who are saddened by the things that happen in their family, you could be there for them. Now, I can assure you this will be a daily struggle if you try. Daily struggle. Because, as, as we all know, our old self always shows up. And our old self is very, always leans towards selfishness and self-centeredness. Denying ourselves and making these decisions for the good of others 
always requires daily commitment to meditating on this gospel and relying on the wisdom and power of this gospel. As Jesus said in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I pray and I hope that we, empowered by the gospel, may commit ourselves daily to imitating our Lord Jesus with the glory of God and advancement of His gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we don't take lightly the privilege you have given us to call you our Father in heaven. It was through your Son who gave himself for us so that we may be freed from our sin and death, that we may live freely as your children, knowing that we do have eternal life, knowing that we have your love, knowing that you are always guiding us. Lord, with this freedom, O oh God, I pray and I ask Heavenly Father that you would empower us through your gospel to go out and imitate Christ in his love. Help us to go to the people who are struggling. Help us to be generous towards our family members and those who are around us. Not with our own strength, Heavenly Father, but the strength that, that is given through your gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.